1: This program, just for the record, is not for people who want to be told what to think. It's for people who like to think about what they've been told, or what they read, or what they hear. So, for that matter, I encourage you to uh, take ownership of your own worldview. Come and join the ranks of the wrong thinkers. Rebel in wrong think, because if you are not questioning everything that's being said to you right now, uh, chances are very good you're being led astray. I think even those of us who are really trying to pay close attention have have the risk of being led astray, which is one of the reasons why you'll find I'm a little bit hesitant to jump on this bandwagon or that bandwagon until I've had a chance to vet things out and really see if they add up like, like uh, some people say they do. And, and for, for the record, too, when it comes from anybody in authority, if it's an official, you know, press release, I automatically doubt it. I don't think that makes me a bad person. I think that just makes me a person who's determined to fight for his mind, <laughs> which I'm encouraging you to do as well. Great sponsors make this program possible. They include HSLAmmo.com, SewingAndQuiltingCenter.com, MonticelloCollege.org, LifesavingFood.com, the Heather Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage in St. George, Utah, and GovernYourCrypto.com. So I've been thinking an awful lot about this, and it's, it really it comes down to, and you're going to hear this a lot in today's show, there is a battle against reality. And it takes a number of different fronts. It's not just propaganda coming out about uh, Russia or Ukraine. It's not just, it's not just uh, Leah Thomas winning a women's swimming event, and everybody's supposed to nod and pretend, that's really a woman. Wow, what a milestone, as, as the actual, you know, biological women, are forced to stand by and notice that their glass ceiling has turned into silver, as in silver metals. It's, it's a whole, I don't know how to describe it. It's virtually every aspect of our lives. It seems like someone is trying to either force us to say things that are not true or to acknowledge things uh, as true which clearly are not true or just simply to mislead us and prevent us from getting too close to the truth. What is that the Hunter Biden laptop? Oh, well, we're going to talk about that as well. So here's the point. Like it or not, Every one of us is now a veteran in the war against reality. Got a great article here by Rajan Ladd. and uh, it kind of starts in. Let's let's dig into the Hunter Hunter Biden affair here. After rigging the election, the media attempts to rig your mind. Now, see that right there is going to cause some people. Whoa! Do you questioning the elections? Well, why not? Listen to listen to this piece and then tell me that there shouldn't be at least some questions, maybe some doubts, as to whether it was really the most honest, transparent, and above-board election in our lifetimes. Rajan Ladd says, After more than two years of the mainstream media dismissing and suppressing news about Hunter Biden's laptop, the New York Times finally conceded that the story was authentic. Now, back in October 2020, the New York Post had carried myriad reports on the shady business dealings of Joe Biden and Hunter And the emails, text messages, and financial documents on the laptop proved that Biden, as vice president, used his influence to generate considerable profits for his family. Now, the laptop also had photos of a drug-addled Hunter in flagrante delicto with a prostitute and even messages of Hunter using the N-word. Following the New York Post reports, prominent personalities on MSNBC, NBC, The Washington Post, The Daily Beast, CNN, and The New York Times worked in unison to discredit the story. Politico claimed that anonymous intelligence officials had branded the news Russian disinformation. I mean, we all remember this, right? The Huffington Post reported more than 50 former intelligence officials had signed a letter to that effect. NPR, which is funded by U.S. tax dollars, claimed there were red flags in the Post's story. Meanwhile, big tech swung into action with Twitter and Facebook heavily restricting Hunter Biden's laptop news, once again calling it, you guess right, Russian propaganda. And finally, the New York Post's Twitter and Facebook accounts were locked, as were other accounts that carried the story. Now, this wasn't surprising. Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg had donated nearly $419 million to nonprofit organizations that infiltrated the administration and infrastructure of key precincts to influence the 2020 election. They had a relatively free flow of factual information in 2016, which caused their candidate, Hillary Clinton, to lose. Well, this time they were taking no chances with their man Biden. Every step of the way was tilted quite emphatically in Biden's favor. So to claim that the media is corrupt or compromised is an understatement because it assumes that the media is an independent entity that has been influenced by an external force. And he just comes right out and says that the current media is in fact a propaganda wing for the Democrats. Think of it as a department within the Democrat Party and suddenly it all makes sense. Their function is to glorify the Democrats and everything else is a nuisance that has to be destroyed. Their actions are purposeful. And so is their propaganda. Those who have appointed themselves as the adjudicators of taste and even facts, you know, that's that's part of this crowd. All of those who don't subscribe to their utterances are either brand ignoramuses or bigots or agents of Putin. For any given story, various pundits across various organizations have similar views and use identical wor- phrases and buzzwords. This is because the author of the talking points seems to be the same individual who sits in the quarters of the DNC. Words such as insurrection or collusion did not just happen. They were conceived by the Democrats who were assiduously followed by the media. Now, their narratives are often contradictory, but they still demand total adherence and a complete surrender of critical thinking. So, Lodd says, if you don't believe the 2016 elections were rigged, then you are an ignoramus because elections can easily be compromised. However, if you think that the 2020 elections were rigged, you are also branded an ignoramus, ignoramus rather, because elections can never be compromised. That is kind of a neat flip-flop, isn't it? He says, when President Trump refers to the rigging of the 2020 election, the rigging began the very day he was elected in 2016 and continues to this day with one hit job after another. And while the overarching narrative was that of Russian collusion, There were myriad other hit jobs. On certain days, Trump was bigoted, senile, ignorant, and incompetent. On other days, he was bigoted, evil genius, and megalomaniacal megalomaniacal tyrant. The press misquoted him to the extent that many people, including his supporters, thought that he referred to neo-Nazis as very fine people and asked people to inject bleach to fight COVID-19. They don't even attempt to conceal their bias. After Biden was... Elected, CNN's Don Lemon referred to the Democrats as we. Maureen Dowd wrote, we can't give up on Biden because he's all that stands between us and the apocalypse at the hands of Trump. And there were neither apologies nor retractions from either organization. Now, they have developed a small but zealous base who in tune have their biases and hate have to, uh, who in tune have to tune in rather to have their biases and their hate confirmed. And they also rely on casual consumers to believe all they see or read without much consideration because they're busy with life. He says it's conceivable that the relentless chaos and scandals the media fabricated about Trump's White House were enough for this section to vote against Trump. According to a morning consult poll, two in five Americans trust the news media. That's actually higher than I would have expected, which means 40% of the people tend to believe Democrat propaganda. Now, it'll be impossible to know how many Trump votes the media managed to steal with their relentless anti-Trump propaganda. The fact that President Trump managed to receive over 74 million votes in 2020, almost 12 million more than 2016, is a testament to his achievements. Do not for any moment think that the reason the New New York Times authenticated Hunter's laptop story is that they've seen the light and will henceforth resort to factual reporting only. It's possible that the Democrats are looking for a way to take Biden out before the 2020 election campaigns kick off. And they're using this story as the first punch. By the way, I do think that is the most reasonable explanation for why now. Why is this coming out? We've got to get Biden out of the way. But beyond President Trump, the media re- relentlessly indulges in Goebbelsian propaganda. You're ordered to stay indoors, mask up and take the vaccine without questions. The lockdowns that isolated people from the outside world actually helped them spread paranoia and hysteria. You're ridiculed for questioning climate change and transgenderism. You're told BLM riots where shops were looted and burned down are protests. While the January 6th protest was an insurrection and Ashley Babbitt, the unarmed protester killed by Capitol Police, deserved to die. So do not expect any reform or remedial action for the reason that the media does not see any errors in their actions. The function of the media is to comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. But the propaganda masters who are lackeys of the establishment are doing exactly the opposite and they feel no remorse or shame in doing so. So here's the bottom line. Citizens looking for facts must presume falsehoods until truth is proven. It's a great article. You'll find it in my show notes at
0: BrianHideshow.com. We'll be back in just a moment. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show.
1: I hope you'll take the time to visit my show notes and especially pay attention to the sponsor links. In fact, if there's one that I would ask you to click on, I want you to click on all of them, but one in particular would be lifesavingfood.com. If you're looking for ideas for uh, getting your food storage program shored up and and nice and solid in the face of some of the difficulties and some of the challenges that are approaching and actually are currently upon us, I mean, come on, this, you know, four and five dollar gas is nothing to sneeze at, but uh, yeah, you'll find a lot of solutions there. You'll find some great prices, and you'll find some nice ready-made ways to to get yourself stocked up for difficult times, should they come upon us. And the prices are never going to be better than they are right now. That's lifesavingfood.com. Well, the the issue of transsexual individuals in women's sports is uh, front and center after Leah Thomas, this transsexual swimmer um, who used to be a guy, was born a man, and then has uh, transitioned one, some uh, women's I think it was the 500 meter event uh, took first place, and you know, of course, it was hailed as "Oh, isn't this amazing?" Almost as amazing as uh, Rachel Levine I'm sorry, I'm putting this in air quotes. the um, I don't remember what exactly is she the Health and Human Services secretary, anyway, um, became the Woman of the Year. And I know that you know, look there, there are we all know people. I promise you, we all know people who are struggling with gender identity issues. And this is not to tell you that, therefore, they're fair game and you should uh, treat them poorly and make them feel bad. Mm-mm. The one thing I have noticed, and, and I'm, I'm going to have to say, I only know a handful of transsexual individuals. But there's a couple that I know pretty well. And, and the common thread is the ones that I know have have had or are dealing with some very severe trauma of some sort in their lives. And I know I'm not a psychologist, I'm not a scientist, I, I'm, just, I'm just someone who believes in, you know, le, instead of let's condemn everybody else who disagrees with us as stupid or evil, maybe there are some other underlying factors. Now, having said that, I don't want to be conscripted into somebody else's fantasy. Now, that doesn't mean that I won't refer to them by their proper pronouns. If someone asks me, would you please refer to me as, you know, she, her, I'm I'm going to do it. Just because they were kind enough to ask. Now, if they come marching up and demand, you will not misgender me, homie, don't play that game. I just, you know, I will disconnect and leave them to go find some other person that they can inflict their, their trauma upon. But this is a modern version of the emperor's new clothes. We are expected for the sake of, you know, oh, well, you know, we've got we to gotta make sure that uh, the emperor doesn't feel, you know, out of place as he's parading down the street naked. Oh, look at those fine pantyhose. Isn't that just something? Why, it's the finest clothing we've ever seen. And we're being trained to recite things that we know are false or will be targeted. I actually saw a really interesting thread on Twitter, and I'm including a link to this. Thank you for the thread reader app for creating this unroll. This is from, uh, uh, I forget the guy's name, Burtex. Anyway, it's something like the Woke Burrito. That's the, that's the guy's Twitter handle. But I want you to hear how he approaches this. And, and again, this is not attacking. Trans people or saying that they are fair game for, you know, for our derision or scorn or anything else negative. This is a defense of truth and reality which it turns out is a really under sustained attack. He says, when people say trans women are women, I don't think many of them actually believe it. Some of them say it because they're afraid not to say it. Others say it because they love making others afraid of not saying it. I mean, I just saw this as an aside. I saw this in a Facebook thread over the weekend. Someone had posted something about the, again, swimmer, Leah Thomas, winning, and and, uh, here came a dutiful little, uh, um, you know, virtue signaler to, well, this is so divisive that you would even point this out and, you know, and trying to pick fights and pick arguments with people um, who just simply say, look, the reality is that uh, the reason this individual won is because physically this person was born a male. And I don't mean to be, you know, I don't mean to be too insensitive here, but years down the road, when Leah, when Leah Thomas has passed away, should, you know, this, this individual's bones be studied by an archaeologist, that archaeologist is going to conclude this was a human male. How can they tell? Huh. Because that's what archaeologists do. They know the bone structure. They understand, you know, males are built differently than females. So back to the to the Twitter thread. The Woke Burrito says, in a way, the whole statement of trans women are women sort of functions as a tool for social control. It's almost like a religious sacrament, a pledge of allegiance and submission. When you say it, you prove you are willing to abandon the truth to either achieve or keep your in-group status. You're letting other people know you won't be trouble. You won't question anything, no matter how absurd anything gets. You're a true believer. The emperor's new pantyhose look amazing to you. Now, if you have authoritarian tendencies, trans women or women must seem incredibly appealing. Imagine having the power to get other people fired for not believing in false statements. Two plus two is five, and anyone who disagrees is a bigot and should lose their job. Can you imagine having that power? Well, guess what? It's a lot. A lot of people have that power right now. It's kind of like that part in 1984, how many fingers, Winston? Stating the correct number of fingers gets you punished. Accepting the falsehood gets you rewarded. A. Humans cannot change their sex. B. Humans can change their sex. Claim A is objectively true, but it might get you fired. Claim B is objectively false, but it might get you hired. So when people say trans women are women it's useful to remember a lot of them don't actually believe that. They say it either out of fear and compliance or in order to remind you that they have power over you, even if it's the power of guilt, of look what a good person I am, and you're not. But what's the big deal? Why can't you just be nice and play along? Well, here's the answer. Because if they can make everyone submit to this foolishness, it eventually becomes a religion as as even children are raised into believing this sacred thing that no one can question. And it has consequences. When we establish false premises, we will inevitably run into false conclusions and contradictions. Bad policies will ensue. Women will find themselves housed in prisons with male inmates. Women's sports will become an outright farce. This has already happened as we've seen. But most importantly, adopting these falsehoods under social coercion will outright distort our very relationship with reality itself. This isn't just a false empirical claim about reality where new evidence could theoretically overturn the verdict on truth. This is about messing with conceptual truths, like 2 plus 2 equals 4. When definitions of words and concepts can be changed prescriptively overnight to reshape reality, we not only lose our ability to think but we lose our ability to our ability to speak rather but also our ability to think so if they can make you believe men can get pregnant they can make you believe anything most people don't believe such statements yet an alarming number of them are willing to pretend that they do where do you think we end up with that they're already teaching such statements to children at school and you better believe those kids don't get to ask questions or disagree because these statements aren't even presented to them as empirical claims but as moral ones. So the conclusion is we are looking we're witnessing at or we are witnessing rather the birth of a new religion. In fact I'll take it one step further. Because we are being required In the name of that new religion, to put something above reality, to where it cannot even be questioned. It's a form of idolatry. Now you'll notice, nowhere in the Woke Burritos commentary, nowhere in my commentary, have I urged you. Therefore, you should mistreat people who are going through very difficult things and are are dealing with it in ways that uh, we find, you know, questionable or unusual. But can we at least be honest enough to to recognize reality still exists? I like the definition, reality is everything that remains when you wish it were otherwise. And all I'm asking you to consider is, before you go along to get along, ask yourself, how much does reality matter to me?
0: And maybe be reluctant to let them pry your cold dead fingers from it. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome
1: back to the show. Take a quick look at my uh, website and you will notice a little button at the top right hand corner that says buy crypto. And in particular, I'd like you to click on governyourcrypto.com. I think it should be pretty clear by now that uh, there's, there's a pretty strong move to convert uh, from a society in which cash is sometimes used, although a lot of our business takes pl- place digitally, we are seeing a very strong push toward a central bank digital currency. And as I've talked about on this show, the, the danger is you lose all privacy, you lose all monetary freedom, Under such a situation, crypto, despite all the attacks on it, is still keeping the door open to you controlling your assets or a portion of your assets, such as you put it into crypto. Might be worth learning a little bit more if you decide to pull the trigger. GovernYourCrypto.com can get you on your way. You know, the Hunter Biden laptop story really should be a much bigger deal, and not because of the salaciousness of the images on his laptop but because of what it reveals about the deceptive nature of the American press. I know, I'm beating the drum here. You can't trust the American press. But it's not just a matter of I disagree with them and therefore whatever they say are wrong. It's a matter of people who are trying to lure us into a false sense of reality to keep us separated from reality. Sounds like a pretty good way to gain control over masses of people. And the fact is, there are a lot of people who seem to fall for it. Quotha Raven's uh, Fringe Finance is a great website worth checking out. I appreciate uh, ZeroHedge.com republishing one of their recent uh, articles about how the Hunter Biden laptop story turned out to be true, but nobody's been held accountable. The article says, it turns out that the party who spent four years accusing President Trump of Russian collusion performed a massive cover-up for Joe and Hunter Biden heading into the 2020 election that they have yet to be held accountable for. And this mainstream media dishonesty has become so common, he says, it's part of the reason why I was insistent the mainstream media is losing the fight of its life earlier this year. The media's predictability is becoming so blatant that it was easy to figure out that COVID would be a non-issue in 2022 and that we would experience what he called the great COVID pivot of 2022. And I have to admit, Quote the Raven was dead on on each of these. But now we're backtracking on what turned out to be more false claims of Russian collusion. Go figure. He says, I remember speaking to my father around the time that the, uh, of, the, uh, of the election and about that Hunter Biden laptop story where presidential candidate Joe Biden's son's laptop was found to contain proof that the former Biden sold his influence to China, while his father, the latter Biden, was vice president of the United States. And in the midst of an ongoing media cover-up of that story, Quoth the Raven says, I also remember talking to my father about former Hunter Biden business partner, Tony Bobolinsky, coming forward and blowing the whistle on the Bidens in an effort to get the public to take notice. Instead, Bobolinsky was only given airtime by Fox News' Tucker Carlson and otherwise was shunned and ignored by the rest of the left-leaning media. Now, we'd both watched Bobolinsky's interview and found him to be extremely credible. Quote, the Raven says, I remember my father saying the censorship of the story and the story itself combined could be the biggest political scandal of all time. And he says that caught me by surprise because my father, who's voted both Democrat and Republican over the last handful of elections, has lived through quite a few scandals. But now I understand what he was getting at. Selling your influence to China while running for president is a big deal. The media covering up that story completely in the United States in the midst of an election? Yeah, that's an even bigger deal. Because when you step back and objectively examine the issue of Joe Biden's business dealings in China, it appears that he was actually engaged in the types of conflict of interest that his party spent four years of accusing President Trump of. Again, go figure. And then there was the laptop. After the New York Post broke what should have been a Pulitzer-worthy story that Biden's son had a laptop filled with incriminating evidence, the story was promptly blackballed in the mainstream media and was talked about nowhere other than conservative news outlets. In fact, the mainstream media didn't even give the story one, one shred of an objective chance. Half of the liberal media organizations covered the story as Russian disinformation, while the others, well, they didn't carry it at all. And here he posts to numerous links of what the coverage looked like at the time. Here's the CNN headline, National Security, Hunter Biden's story is Russian disinfo, dozens of former Intel officials say. Here's another one from NPR, Facebook and Twitter limit sharing New York Post story about Joe Biden. Now, casually linking back to its October 2020 story, casting doubt on a new 2022 story about the Justice Department's ongoing inquiry into Hunter Biden. Here's what the New York Times wrote, quote, people familiar with the investigation said prosecutors had examined emails between Mr. Biden, Mr. Archer and others about Burisma and other foreign business activity. Those emails were obtained by the New York Times from a cache of files <clears throat> that appears to have come from a laptop abandoned by Mr. Biden in a Delaware repair shop. The email and others in the cache were authenticated by people familiar with them and with the investigation, end quote. Now, for a party that's always crowing about transparency and democracy, and a party that constantly labored about the importance of freedom of press during the entire Trump administration, the liberal media did an abhorrent job of missing what would have objectively been an earth-shattering story ahead of a presidential election. And that tells you everything you need to know about the journalistic integrity of large media outlets in this country right now. Quoth the Raven says, as my mom would rightfully say, every station has an agenda, the left-wing ones and the right-wing ones. But perhaps this agenda could have just meant that MSNBC or CNN actually covering the laptop story with a bit more of a favorable spin for Biden. I mean, it shouldn't mean totally ignoring the story ahead of an election and then pretending like the events in question simply never happened, right? The worst part of uh, this type of behavior from the media isn't just this one story. We're seeing all types of narratives being protected and facts being ignored when it comes to the pandemic. I mean, look at what an absolutely bat-crap, crazy job the hysterical media did covering ivermectin after Joe Rogan got COVID. People were banned from social media and scorned for suggesting the virus may have come from a lab. Now it's the media's leading hypothesis. Would anyone be surprised to see a pivot on ivermectin now? Quoth the Raven says, I wouldn't. The point is... The laptop story was objectively a material story, no matter what party you belong to. At some point, one would hope that the story's merits would move the needle far enough that even left-wing news organizations would have given it perfunctory coverage. But instead, they did something nefarious. They covered it up. And while anybody with common sense at the time would have told you the laptop story was likely true... Who's going to take 200 photos, fake 200 photos, rather, of a presidential candidate's son smoking meth in his underwear? Admitting it now, after the fact, as the president's son parades around selling his art for 500,000 bucks a clip, is both insulting to our intelligence and embarrassing for your respective news organizations. So, Raven says, finally, remember every time the left tries to lecture you on the importance of journalism and accountability... Maybe you can ask them to start by examining the organizations who were never held accountable for ignoring what my dad rightly referred to as one of the biggest political scandals of our time, of all time, rather. It's a great time for the media that spent four straight years focused on pointing the finger at former President Trump for anything and everything to realize that three more fingers are pointing back at them. Like many on the left, they've become what they claim to hate. Okay, so let's put this into some perspective here, okay? What does this mean for you and me? Does this mean we sharpen our pitchforks, we light the torches, and we go and, you know, hold the media accountable? No. No, although I, I do see a day when when the media is likely to get the treatment that uh, some people apparently are getting in Ukraine right now. Apparently, anybody who is not on board enough with, uh, in, and this is, I believe, in, in was it in the city of Maripool? Anyway, um, Basically, Ukraine, they're they are uh, saran wrapping or taping people to light posts and and abusing the crap out of them, calling them marauders, you know, collaborators. And uh, I mean, you know, you can say, well, they that's what you do in the case of an invasion. But I'm just saying journalists could very well find themselves in a similar situation. Should the balloon ever go up here? No, here's here's my recommendation. Dr. Brian recommends. Pull the plug. Take yourself off. That, uh, that attachment to mainstream media. Now, this doesn't mean that you're you know, burying your head in the sand. It doesn't mean that you're just ignoring everything that, that causes you uh, discomfort. It means you're making a conscious decision to re- reject or withdraw your consent from those sources of information that don't bring some kind of light or encouragement into your life. I trust you to make that decision. Notice, I'm not telling you, you know, you have to do this. I'm just saying, if you want to keep your peace of mind, if you want to keep your grip on reality, this is something you ought to be willing to consider. Disconnect from the matrix. Don't give them power to manipulate your thoughts. Don't give them power to manipulate your emotions. Take it away from them by turning your back on them.
0: This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is the Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show.
1: The Heather Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage is one of my great sponsors. And if you find yourself in the market for a mortgage, whether it's a VA loan, a traditional loan, a reverse mortgage, maybe even refinancing your existing mortgage, you want to get in there before those interest rates go any higher. This is, uh, this is who I want you to talk to. You can click on the email link I provide in the show notes. You can also call 435-703-4522. Talk to the Heather Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage to quickly get the loan you need at the best rates possible. Heather's MNLS, let's try that again, NMLS ID is 715386. And Patriot Home Mortgage is an equal housing opportunity lender. Well, let's take a moment and talk about... How you'd have to be trying pretty hard not to notice the sinister shift in how public health has somehow melded with public policy. I mean, there's talk right now about a worldwide, a global kind of treaty that says, well, the next time there's a pandemic, we're all going to be on the same page. Basically, a, a centrally planned lockdown kind of treaty. Ah, doesn't that sound great? Wow. <laughs> what an opportunity. Got a great article here from Donald J. Boudreau that says the ha- talks about the hazards of public health paternalists, and the, and the hel- the hazards are actually public health hazards. So he says in his pre-COVID book, Killjoys: A Critique of Paternalism, published in 2017, nanny state nemesis Christopher Snowden reports on the rise and pernicious influence of what he calls public health paternalists. Now, these folks are not traditional public health scholars and officials whose concern is to protect individuals from pathogens and other health hazards that spread more intensely as people live, work, and play in closer and closer proximity to each other. Instead, public health paternalists are busybodies who focus on statistical aggregates, such as the percentage of a country's population that is obese, and then propose using state coercion to improve the performance of these aggregates. Now, each such statistical aggregate is merely the summation of the health status of each of many individuals who are reckoned to be members of some group, such as Americans or seniors. And importantly, nearly all of these measured aggregate health outcomes emerge from individual choices that each person in the group voluntarily undertakes and that affect only each decision maker as an individual. you catch that? Almost none of these measured aggregate health outcomes is the result of what economists call negative externalities, which occur when Jones suffers damage not because of his own choices, but instead because of choices that uh, Smith made without regard to the negative consequences of those choices on Jones. Or on, on, on Jones, yes. So whereas classical liberals, for example, refuse to classify even widespread obesity as a public health problem, Public health paternalists do classify widespread obesity as a public health problem. The classical liberal understands that obesity isn't contagious. Each obese person ultimately chooses to lead a lifestyle that results in his or her obesity. The classical liberal therefore understands that obesity is a private problem of personal, of individual health rather than a problem of public health. In contrast, the public health paternalist leaps from the perhaps accurate observation that a large portion of some public is obese to the conclusion that obesity is thus a problem of public health. As Deidre McCluskey rightly emphasizes, the problems that we talk are habit the the, pro, the ways that we talk are habits of the lip matter. So, if obesity is called a public health problem, the path is more surely paved to impose on the public the responsibility to solve our obesity problem, with, of course, the public acting chiefly through government. Because any large group of people will have within it some number of individuals who behave in ways that result in self-harm, public health paternalists will have an easy time finding, amidst the statistics, several public health problems. Donald J. Boudreaux says, indeed, every choice that potentially has a negative impact on the health of each individual who makes that choice is a source of such public health problems, even when such choices have no negative impact on any other individuals in the group. So in the minds of public health paternalists, the body politic becomes almost a literal body. The aggregate, as designed by statistics, is treated akin to a sentient entity that suffers health problems, many of which can be cured by this entity's team of physicians, namely public health paternalists. And in a country with a population as large as that of the United States, the number of different health problems suffered by absolutely large numbers of individuals will be enormous, thus ensuring no end of opportunities for public health paternalists to use the power of the state to prescribe and prescribe individuals' behaviors. But he says, as Snowden notes, public health paternalists sense that to justify their interventions, they need more than to point to scary statistics drawn from a large population. At least in societies with a liberal tradition, in societies that historically accord some deference to individuals to freely make their own choices, public health paternalists must bolster the case for their officiousness by convincing the public that seemingly private decisions are not really private. Public health paternalists thus insist, for example, that obese people are innocent victims of predatory marketing by companies like McDonald's while smokers have been trapped by the vile tactics of big tobacco, as well as by the peer pressure of simply being surrounded by friends who smoke. He says, according to public health paternalists, therefore, almost no decisions that affect individuals' health are truly individual. Nearly all such decisions are either heavily determined by the actions of third parties or themselves affect the choices of unsuspecting third parties. Nothing is personal and private. Everything is political and public. Oof, that's a pretty accurate description because according to public health paternalists, rather, a a seemingly vast, let's try that again, a vast array of seemingly private decisions are both the results of externalities and themselves the cause of externalities. The work of public health paternalists is plentiful and while the power these experts require to protect the health of the body politic is also vast. This, this perversion of classic public health into public health paternalism is alarming. Donald Boudreau says, as public health paternalism comes to dominate the field, persons attracted to study and practice public health will be, in contrast to traditional public health scholars and officials, far more insistent on expanding public health's domain. Public health paternalists will excel at the dark art of portraying as public And hence, as appropriate, targets of government regulation, many activities that traditionally and correctly are understood as private, and hence not appropriate targets of government regulation. Now he asks, how much of the overreaction to COVID-19 is explained by the rise of public health paternalism? Donald J. Boudreaux says, I suspect an enormous amount. Public health paternalists are not only already primed to misinterpret private choices as ones that impose negative externalities on third parties, but they're also especially skilled at peddling their misinterpretations to the general public. And so although the real contagiousness of the SARS-CoV2 viruses or virus rather rends it a valid concern of classic public health scholars and officials. The contagiousness and publicness of other aspects of COVID were exaggerated in attempts to justify excessive government control over everyday affairs. The most obvious example of an activity traditionally regarded as private and thus not properly subject to government control is speech and writing. Now, of course, no one has ever denied that speech and writing have effects on others. Indeed, changing other people's hearts and minds is the very purpose of much speech and writing. But in liberal civilization, the strong presumption has been that individuals are to be trusted to judge for themselves the merit or demerit of whatever expressed thoughts they encounter. We've long recognized and rightly feared the danger of allowing government officials to superintend and suppress peaceful expression. Yet with COVID, this presumption was significantly weakened, if not reversed, The U.S. Congress held a hearing to investigate the harm caused by the spread and monetization of coronavirus misinformation online to try to identify the steps needed to stop the spread and promote accurate public health information. While high-ranking U.S. government public health officials tried to orchestrate an effort to discredit the Great Barrington Declaration, a Cornell Medical School official writing in the New York Times openly called for suppressing the speech of physicians who dissent from the prevailing expert consensus. Donald Boudreaux says peaceful expression and the exchange of ideas are now regarded by many elites as sources of potentially dangerous externalities. And in the minds of public health paternalists, the only way to protect the body politic from becoming lethally infected with what public health paternalists themselves deem to be misinformation is for government to suppress the spread of viral ideas no less than it suppresses the spread of viral molecular structures. This ominous development during COVID was surely encouraged by the rise over the past few years of public health paternalists. I'd say that's pretty on target. By the way, he's got some great links within the article. You should check it out. Donald J. Boudreau. This was published on the American Institute for Economic Research. You ought to subscribe to their emails as well. Find some great food for thought delivered to your inbox on a daily basis.
0: This is the Brian Hyde Show. Well, hello
1: there, and welcome to the show, my fellow veterans of the war on reality. Yeah, I don't know exactly when we were drafted, but uh, we are definitely in the trenches together on this one. Thanks for joining me. Thank you for uh, thank you for considering my sponsors as well, who make this program possible. They include sponsors like. Sewing and Quilting Center dot com, lifesavingfood.com, MonticelloCollege.org, College dot org, govern your crypto dot com, the Heather Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage, and also HSL Ammo dot com. So here's a question for you. Have you ever heard of the Great Uncleaving? Uh, I kinda sound of sounds vaguely biblical, doesn't it? Uh, it's a fascinating take on why the time has come to withdraw your consent and for the sake of your family. To separate from the system that is doing its best to destroy you. This is uh, published on LouRockwell.com, and uh, it's it, the the author is listed as Southern Catholic Mom. And here's the subtitle: It is time after over two years of unchecked government tyranny and unsinged, I'm sorry, unhinged insanity, on half of of half of the population for the great uncleaving. That's what I'm calling for sane people in the West to undertake immediately. So here's what Southern Catholic mom has to say. It is time for us to uncleave from those who worship the COVID religion, the mandate religions, the face masking and face covering religions, the jab or job religions. The BLM religion, the blood libel against white people religions, the snuffing and assisted living and hospital religions, the kinky and degenerate religions, the gardening and self-sufficient hating religions, the government schools loving religions, the war loving religions, the cop and soldier worshiping religions, the government and government employees worshiping religions, and all other human hating religions. By the way, she says, please feel free to add to this list. Now she goes on to say, we the sane and the good will have our own hospitals and our own sane, compassionate medical care systems. We will lovingly and inclusively care for young and old. We refuse to warehouse them into centers, schools, and homes where they are segregated away from family, friends, and community. Then there's the matter of schools and their endless propaganda. Do you really trust the schools, federal zones where you, the parent, are prohibited, just like drugs and guns are prohibited? Are you, the parent, just another controlled substance like drugs or guns? To the schools, you are. Who gives the government entities that control? Well, she says, you, the parent, do. Whenever you step into a federal zone or hand over your child to the government employees, bus drivers, janitors, lunch ladies, counselors, testers, coaches, librarians, teachers, administrators, etc., stop using their free services and facilities. Withdraw your children from schools now. Now, I have to add this as, uh, as an aside, first of all, because my wife is a public school teacher. And, and so I just, I have to make this clear. Not all school districts are created equal. And I, I generally, just on principle, opposed to, I'm opposed to public school, or at least government-run school. Because I, I don't think it's something government needs to be overseeing in the first place. But, I just point this out to say there are some parents who live in areas where their school districts are very, very statist in their approach. And I think that to withdrawing their children from the schools is, is the best thing they could do. The sooner, the better. But what's sad is what's happening in, you know, school districts in California and in Washington, D.C. and in Chicago and even in Virginia. It's spreading like a like a virus. Yeah, through throughout the public school system, stuff is part of the the curriculum today that uh, you know never would have been ten years ago. So, parents, you know, this is something that you've got to keep in the back of your mind. You may have to withdraw your kids. Southern Catholic mom says the parent is the provider, and she calls for you to stop relying on others to supply anything your children need. Who provides clothing for your children? You. The parents do. Who provides housing for your children? You do. Who buys or grows food and makes meals for your children? You do. Who provides the education of your children? Do you? The fact is, you the parents are just as responsible for your children's education as you are for their food, clothing, and housing. So she says, take full responsibility and educate your children at home. Stop using excuses. Stop mooching off taxpayers for free education and free services. Stop subjecting your children to other people's ideal of education. Do you really trust what's being done to your child behind the walls of schools? Did you really intend to get married, create children, care for them in the womb, and then hastily turn them over to government-paid pension seekers and government schools for 13 to 18 years of their lives? Now, there's also a warning here about private and religious schools. She says, just so you understand my observations over my last 30 years of rearing my own children and privately tutoring other people's children, virtually all private and religious schools are just government schools plus tuition. She says many private and religious schools teach the same rot and rubbish. They tow the government lines. They seek approval, accreditation, licensure, permission papers, and social justice points. They all happily obey government mandates, whether the parents ever signed up for it or not. This is who we are, the schools intone, as if they speak for every individual. The private schools often accept government grants and other monies. Private and religious schools are headed by left liberal progressives, often hired not from local talent, but from California progressives or up-east liberals with big credentials behind their names. Private schools also use retired public school teachers, retirees who are fat with their early retirement pensions as teachers and other employees within the private schools. This means the government retiree brings their parasitic existence and beliefs with them. They continue to indoctrinate other people's children. They continue to pull in their tax-fed salary in retirement. Increasingly, government retirement pay is seamlessly the same as the government employment pay was. Retired government teachers haul in retirement pay and at the same time take employment pay at the new school. Southern Catholic Mom says avoid these people at all costs. The point here is you cannot proxy out your parenting. Whatever happens to your child while in the custody and care or abuse of any other entity, even for a minute, will stay with your child forever. Whatever abuse or indoctrination that is set upon your child is your fault. Period. You cannot proxy out your parenting. Not ever. Not until your child is old enough to thoroughly understand how to protect himself. And that age varies with each child. But she says, in my experience, it is not until age 15 you must protect and teach your child how to survive. You should want to be with your own children, and extended family. You should like your own children. Like it or not, you are your child's best advocate and his last line of defense. You should especially know who your children spend time with, especially for sleeping overnight or going away on trips. You or a trusted family member should always chaperone your children, especially if they're under the age of 15. Our greater American society is not our individual culture or our family culture. We need to return to the basics, and that means return to centering our social lives around family and our own family's culture, traditions, and ways. Ultimately, we would do well to have larger families, certainly more than the 1.7 children people are having presently. And the same responsibility on our part is true for our elderly. We owe them undivided and loving care when they ask for it or truly need it. Do you want to visit Grandma in the sane, compassionate, assisted living, cared for by honest, trained, loving people? Or do you want to accept that she will be forever separated from her family because makovid infinity? Better to have our own facilities and our own people caring for us at the end of our lives. Now, this is a hard truth for anybody to even consider, but Southern Catholic mom says this is a necessary divorce. Unfortunately, just like when church congregations divorce over ideological differences, the betters usually have to leave behind the facilities and infrastructure to the lessers. The betters almost always have to leave and build anew. But she says, we shall live and flourish. We shall have healthy marriages and loving families. We will build exclusive communities and living spaces for us. We will educate and care for our own children and descendants. We will write our own histories. We will celebrate and conserve our cultures. We will live in harmony and peace as the Lord provided us. We will reject and segregate out the upstarts, rabble and troublemakers, the change makers, the outsiders who hold dual loyalties, and those who just want our genocide. So she says, let us begin our secession. Withdraw our consent. Remove ourselves, our children, our brains, and brawn. We are the builders, the creators of civilization. We are right. Let us be so convicted of our beliefs. Let the great uncleaving come to pass. Let us live free. It's pretty strong medicine, huh? I know. It even made me uncomfortable, and I agree with pretty much everything she says here, but it's like
0: I'm just not used to hearing the truth stated so plainly and openly. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show.
1: Please take the time to click on the link, sewingandquiltingcenter.com. It's provided in my show notes. And if you are blessed enough to live in southern Utah, maybe you should take advantage of that fact and get yourself down to the Sewing and Quilting Center and see for yourself why they are the one place that you must know if you are serious about sewing, embroidery, long-arm quilting, keeping your machines running if you already have those items, or just to purchase your supplies, or to gain the skills to use those machines to their best potential. It's all right there under one roof, a family-owned business. Teresa and Eric Alsop are the owners, wonderful people, there to help you, and really, just it's a it's a super comprehensive business that can take care of you from start to finish. Very proud to have them as a sponsor. I hope you'll take the time to get to know them a little bit better. So again, I'm back to the idea of reality. And I've got a great article here from The Good Citizen, knocking another one out of the ballpark here. Now, this is uh, titled, "To, To Be or Not to Be Influenced. And if you consider yourself or if you aspire to be an influencer at any level, if you're just trying to make your influence felt, this is something you really ought to consider. Because it gets down to the question of why do we do what we do? The Good Citizen starts with a quote from Ramana Maharshi. Sorry, that's a name that didn't come easily to me. There is no mystery greater than this. Being in reality, we seek to gain reality. We think there is something hiding our reality and it must be destroyed before the reality is gained. A day will dawn when you will laugh at your past efforts... That which, will be on the, that, will be, that which will be on the day you laugh is also here and now. Now, the good citizen says all around us, the world is changing quickly. Historically, fast changes like we're witnessing have resulted in profound shifts in art and culture, new questions about how we live and why. And even as existential contemplations about wrong timelines and a nostalgia for the not so distant past. Yet nobody likes to revisit the past and sulk and regret, and people yearn for the positive and optimistic pieces of information that may help guide their choices for the future. Amen to that. Nothing in our world is more positive and full of optimism than our great digital performers, our super selfie wonders, the digital nomad philosophers of our time who roam this great earth in search of the perfect vlog, setting to elicit the jealousy and envy of their millions of disciples. Yeah, that was a pretty good uh, slap. (laughs) Now, in ancient Greece, philosophers were revered, celebrated for their clarity of reason and logos, their objectivity and wisdom, and they had tremendous influence over the population. But the good citizen says today we celebrate our own philosophers, visionaries and mavericks who also have tremendous influence over the population. Instead of deep insights into one's character or morals or concepts like justice and democracy, they offer us so much more than those philosophers of ancient Greece. Watch one of them pull a bikini strap from her hip while tilting her head back into the sunlight, or swing from a rock cliff for the perfect magic hour shot to influence others and gain clout. It's something that a society, as a society, we just can't put a value on. That's something for marketing companies and talent agents to do. As mere mortals, we are simply left to observe with awe and wonder at all their spectacular talents and abilities and simply click that like button to show how much we love their digital performance. But it's not enough anymore to simply click that like button to show some love. The beautiful bastards or followers of one digital cult or another must smash that like button to show their admiration for the spectacle of digital magnificence, that will be on display even if they are yet to witness it. They are so certain it will be terrific because they're a dedicated follower who activates those notification bells to be alerted each time a new performance is transmitted. The activation, a Pavlovian trigger for the follower to reflexively obey in their desire to be influenced. Now, the influencer is neither human nor chimera. These digital gods levitate above us mere mortals with their performances. They can snap their fingers and change wardrobes instantly while singing an 80s pop tune they just heard for the first time 10 minutes before they begin to choreograph their routine. They can make objects move before the camera, alter their physical appearances instantly, removing any unwanted natural blemishes and socially inconvenient birth defects. They are chameleon magicians capable of inspiring millions of strangers around the world who after smashing that like button are left to contemplate the single greatest question people have to contemplate today. To be or not to be influenced. Now the good citizen says it is dangerous to refuse to be influenced. This is a reckless and isolating choice one must not make lightly without first considering the ramifications. Choosing not to be influenced means choosing to devote attention to those who are not chameleon magicians with millions of followers. This will result in fear of missing out on their performances, pop culture staples worthy of being emulated, if not simply watched, over and over again for the sheer beauty and wonder of the creation. This choice is not to be influenced. This choice not to be influenced, rather, will result in social isolation and will result in strange looks from the masses of the influenced who cannot ponder any of the reasons why one would refuse such a state of euphoria in the presence of digital greatness. Now, the good citizen says not all performances are feats of physical transformation and wondrous spectacle. Some require the subtlety of simply writing a script to be read to the audience as a voiceover. They're usually profound contemplations of a journey in life and the present state of the world as only the eyes of an influencer can see it. Take the young Canadian couple who perform under the moniker Boho Beautiful on YouTube and risked it all years ago to transmit yoga routines and bohemian travel adventures to their audience of millions. This was most definitely not an opportunity to exploit the figure of the female half of the duo by squeezing her svelte figure into revealing bikinis and sports bras to contort her body into yogic poses to send their armies of reddit coomers into a frenzy of orgasmic release. She is so much more than her body. When she's not tanned and sweaty, flashing her artificially enhanced breasts or thrusting her camel-toed mons pubis to the sky, she's busy saving the world with her cameraman boyfriend, because both are devout vegans. And if there's one thing we know about vegans, besides how they're saving the world, is that they really, really care that you know about them being vegans. But pity the fool who thinks that their limitations stop there. When they're not busy eating all the correct foods to impress upon their millennial and Zoomer audiences, they're posing alongside poor Peruvians to exploit for their performances, stopping at the edge of town for a brief cross-legged meditation pose. It is here in Cusco, probably, that they're both bothered by some tremendous forces in the world that require their deep insights and reflections. They let it be known that they are nomads on a journey, and this is a journey that portends profound changes and philosophical ponderings to share with their envious Western cult of followers. How much of the thousands of dollars these beautiful bohemians made in advertising their performance on YouTube, or tens of thousands they received from their generous patrons that month, Did they offer to the poor children dressed in traditional colorful flair or weathered old Peruvian ladies they jammed their $5,000 cameras in the faces of? It is Starbucks and Hilton who chose to do commerce in Cusco that these two are troubled by because Western companies are polluting their experience. Their message is, of course, predatory global capitalism destroys the small coffee vendor and hotel owner in Cusco. And who do you suppose these two voted for in the last Canadian elections? Well, the greater message is how you cloak yourself in self-aggrandizing tremendous virtue as a conscious consumer of localized sustainability in a performative travel vlog to impress upon your viewers. To be or not to be performatively virtuous. Okay, there's a lot more to this uh, to this particular entry, but if you are an influencer, if you aspire to be an influencer, in fact, if, if you notice you're being influenced... Maybe it's time to rethink why you subscribe to a particular you know blog or vlog, why you would want to do one yourself. The good citizen says, "I do not have the answers, good citizens, but if I have your attention, please smash the heart button to show how much you loved this digital performance, and don't forget to smash that subscribe button too." The next performance may be me in a bikini, tilting my head back in the Cabo sunlight, showing my new thigh tattoo of ancient Sanskrit wisdom, and you wouldn't want to miss that either. <laughs> the sense of humor's there, but there's uh, there's some pretty wicked truth in there as well. Are you using your influence wisely? Are you
0: allowing others to influence you wisely? This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show.
1: Do me a quick favor. When you have the time, I want you to click on one of the sponsor links, the one for HSLAmmo.com. And uh, if you uh, if you need to stock up on ammo, just about everybody I know is like, yes, I do. Well, consider doing it through this particular sponsor of my show. Spencer Worthington is the founder of HSL Ammo, hardest working guy I know. I mean, he is tireless. He is uh, very innovative and just solid in his approach. And he is doing a lot not only to to help uh, provide for something that people want, which is good, high-quality, new and remanufactured ammo, but he's also providing a wonderful work opportunity for a good uh, chunk of uh, people there in southern Utah. And he's a great uh, influence within the community. There we go. There's that word influence again. Spencer's a good example of someone who's using it wisely. Well, given the choice between following the science and following your conscience, which would you choose? Yeah, You don't have to answer out loud, but a lot of us learned about ourselves over the last couple of years as to how we would answer that particular question. Now, Connor Tomlinson warns us that he says uh, we should not be so quick to forgive and forget the mass information psychosis that was forced on us. Of course, in the name of science. Connor Tomlinson says, as the conflict in Ukraine continues, COVID has all but vanished from the collective consciousness of the corporate press. But what lessons can be learned from the two years of gaslighting, fear-mongering, and misinformation propagated during the pandemic? Dr. Fauci repeatedly urged us to follow the science, going so far as to call himself the personification of science. But that science is defined only by the opinions of Fauci's chosen experts. The same attitude parallels outlets reporting that 270 doctors penned an open letter to Spotify, urging they deplatform Rogan for spreading COVID misinformation. Now, upon further examination, only 87 signatories were medical doctors. The remaining 183 included lab assistants, a veterinarian, a dentist, a podcaster, a TikTok teacher, and a cannabis researcher. So, the credentials and expertise of an expert. He says is subordinate to the narrative they parrot. Connor Tomlinson says, as cited in Senator Rand Paul's interrogation, the authors of the Great Barrington Declaration were subjected to a coordinated disinformation campaign by Fauci and colleagues. The declaration's a pandemic approach which shields the vulnerable, refuting Fauci's assertions that lockdowns were effective and necessary. An American Institute for Economic Research freedom of information request obtained emails proving Fauci conspired with outgoing National Institutes of Health Director Francis Collins to produce Wired and Washington Post pieces dismissing scientific divide over herd immunity. The Harvard, Oxford, and Stanford academics were discredited as fringe epidemiologists posing plans that would kill millions. Now This weaponizing of the lay press against accredited critics was Fauci's way of fabricating the illusion of scientific consensus on the validity of his pandemic policies. Other dissenting scientific voices were routinely marginalized. Joe Rogan's podcast with Drs. Peter McCullough and Robert W. Malone introduced the concept of mass formation psychosis into political discourse. Based on research by University of Ghent professor Matthias Desmet, Malone and McCullough theorized that free-floating personal and political anxiety was catalyzed by the pandemic into a form of collective conformity akin to mass hypnosis. This mass hypnosis is leading people like a Pied Piper into complying with totalitarianism. The 20th century was replete with psychological experiments exploring obedience and mind control, such as Milgram's experiment, the Stanford Prison Experiment, and the CIA's MKUltra project. Similar psychological strategies were weaponized by the U.K. government's Scientific Advisory Group for Emergencies, staffed with psychologists, communists, and those glad they could get away with lockdowns modeled on Chinese government policy. He says the U.K. Scientific Advisory Council, SAGE, used propaganda to scare citizens into complying with public health decrees. But if peer-reviewed research and historical precedent supports Malone and McCullough's hypothesis, why are so-called fact-checkers and even the White House trying to discredit them? Lay press outlets conspired in similar fashion to Fauci's smear on the great Barrington's authors to combat spread of harmful vaccine disinformation. Trusted news initiative outlets, including the BBC, Facebook, The Atlantic, Twitter, Reuters, Associated Press, and The Washington Post, have dismissed mass formation psychosis and disparaged and deplatformed platformed Malone. Forbes accused Malone of making unfounded COVID-19 vaccine claims. Now, reminder, Forbes is owned by a Chinese investment firm, and James C. Smith, chairman of the Thomas Reuters Foundation, sits on the board of directors for Pfizer. Connor Tomlinson says the AP's piece calling mass formation an unfounded theory was authored by an academic who encouraged behavioral nudging to increase compliance with COVID restrictions. Said academic also quoted Joseph Goebbels on the efficacy of propaganda. By the way, I just want to point out, Connor is not only dead on right in what he's saying here, but he has the links to take you to each of these points that he brings up and further back up and underscore what he's saying. So how come these profitable and ideological conflicts of interest never come up in the frequent fact checks? That's a fair question. Google also partnered with the above outlets and applied a COVID-19 medical misinformation policy to its YouTube content guidelines. Topics censored by the policy include claims that COVID-19 vaccines can cause deaths, that masks are ineffective at stopping the spread of COVID-19, and that COVID 19 vaccines do not both do not reduce transmission but can prevent transmission. Now, presumably, Dr. Fauci, Pfizer CEO Albert Borla, and vaccine adverse event reporting the vaccine adverse event reporting system are anti vax heretics due for digital exile. Unless, of course, Google are using Surgeon General Vivek Murthy's standard of misinformation, meaning whatever he says is true according to the best evidence at the time. Appropriating the language of freedom, Murphy stated that misinformation robs people of the ability to make informed choices, and that only government and big tech censorship can return that freedom to the people. How deftly subversive. Tomlinson says Murphy's pressure campaign was successful. The White House advised Silicon Valley on which individual accounts to censor and now is pressuring Spotify to deplatform Joe Rogan. In Britain, where there is no First Amendment, an online harms bill may pass, which criminalizes spreading COVID misinformation. Americans must beware the Biden regime does not make similar legal incursions on free speech. But CNN's coverage has been most telling, displacing misinformation with the term disinformation. Disinformation recontextualizes spreading falsehoods in international conflict scenarios. This is dangerous verbal mission creep by the White House, Big Tech and the syndicated corporate press who demonize those with legitimate concerns about COVID-19 vaccines and vaccine mandates as domestic terrorists. We saw the same label applied to smear Capitol Hill trespassers and parents protesting school board meetings the demonization and polarization stages of state-sanctioned persecution are playing out in real time. And we are being told we must support them if we are to follow the science. But scientists and philosophers occupy different domains. Connor Tomlin says, science describes what is. Ethics describes what should be. Science is a process of inquiry, discovery, and continual debate. Ethics prescribes standards to strive to attain... Following the science is not a suitable predicate for law. Following your conscience is the only way to construct a society tolerable and prosperous enough to live in. There is no evidence that any expert in a lab coat could find or fabricate, which would allow them, allow us rather, to trust them to tyrannize us. He says it's time elected officials, journalists, and the general public stopped asking, where's the data, and started asking, where are your morals? Connor Tomlinson says we shouldn't need peer-reviewed studies to know right from wrong. Follow your conscience, not the science. I just love this piece. So, you'll find a link to this in the show notes at the Brian Hyde show.com. Strongly suggest maybe you take the time to subscribe to Connor Tomlinson's Substack account, I've got to. I've got to add a bunch of different, uh, uh, re- a bunch of these different Substack accounts to my resources for wrong thinkers page on my website because this is great information. And it, you know, again, I'm not telling you. You have to believe it because I shared it with you. But I am suggesting that uh, when I when I find a source that can state truth and do it without you know partisan concerns and encourage you to think for yourself, which is, that is the common thread. Most every one of my resources for wrong thinkers is some either organization or individual who specializes in promoting independent thought. That's why I share it with you. Again, not to beat a dead horse, but this war on reality, it's a real thing. You and I are right in the middle of it, and I'd like to think that we are on the side of reality even though sometimes it's pretty tough to maintain that grip. We'll be back right after these messages.
0: This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Once again, welcome back to the
1: show. Hey, if you haven't subscribed to my show notes, you know, if you don't have time to listen to the full two hours of the show, I get that. Life is busy. There are many demands on your time. There are a lot of different voices out there, too. Maybe you get tired of hearing mine. That's fine. But those show notes, I always include links to the various uh, commentators and organizations that I'm following to just try to get a better view of what's happening in our world. And to subscribe, all you have to do is go to my website, com. Click on the show notes tab. In the show notes, down at the very bottom of the page, you'll see a great big subscribe button. Put in your email address. And first of all, I promise I will not share or sell your email to anybody else. This is just between you and me. But I will make sure a copy of my show notes lands in your email inbox each day that I do this program. So there you have it. Some more resources to see the world clearly. Why should we be so jealous of the truth? I know I make it sound like it's a big deal, right? Is this the hill you want to tie on? Yeah, actually it is (laughs) because it's, it's really that important. And, and it's not like we haven't seen warnings historically that, that uh, truth is something that people who are seeking to gain power and, and dominion over others, they will suppress truth because it's very inconvenient. It would cause people to doubt their every pronouncement. Got a great article here from Dr. Robert Malone, who says it's just like Orwell warned, power is in tearing human minds to pieces. So here is some some of the news and analysis you probably won't find on state-sponsored media. And actually, here's the this is the full quote from, from Orwell, just so we have some context here. This is from 1984. Power is in tearing human minds to pieces and putting them together again in new shapes of your own choosing. Now, Dr. Malone says one of the most important news stories that broke this week was about Hunter Biden's laptop, not because of the contents as salacious and maybe damaging to the reputation of the president as it may be, but for a more profound and disturbing reason. The 2020 election may have been won on a misinformation campaign orchestrated by elements in the U.S. government. Glenn Greenwald lays this out nicely in his analysis entitled, The New York Times now admits the Biden laptop falsely called Russian disinformation is authentic. Again, here's a quote from Glenn Greenwald. One of the most successful disinformation campaigns in modern American electoral history occurred in the weeks prior to the 2020 presidential election. On October 14, 2020, less than three weeks before Americans were set to vote, the nation's oldest newspaper, the New York Post, began publishing a series of reports about the business dealings of the Democratic frontrunner Joe Biden and his son Hunter in countries in which Biden as vice president wielded considerable influence, including Ukraine and China, and would again if elected president. The backlash against this reporting was immediate and intense, leading to suppression of the story by U.S. corporate media outlets and censorship of the story by leading Silicon Valley monopolies. The disinformation campaign against this reporting was led by the CIA's all but official spokesperson, Natasha Bertrand, then of Politico, now with CNN, whose article on October 19th appeared under this headline, Hunter Biden's story is Russian disinfo, dozens of former intel officials say, end quote. Now, Dr. Malone says elements of our government have been engaged in psyops campaigns designed to manipulate the beliefs and thoughts of the American people. And these campaigns started long before COVID-19. The New York Post, who was one of the victims of the censorship and smear campaign led by Democratic officials, ex-CIA reporters, which usually means current CIA contractors, acting in collusion with big tech and the legacy media, also wrote about this in a piece called How Dem Officials, the Media and Big Tech, Worked in Concert to Bury the Hunter Biden Story. Remember, the New York Post had its Twitter account disabled for reporting on the completely accurate Hunter Biden laptop story. This is from the New York Post. Everlasting, undying, soul-rending shame be upon you, Facebook, Twitter and Politico and all the others who covered up, denied and suppressed this newspaper's true and accurate reporting about Hunter Biden's laptop in 2020. You should be hurling yourselves at the feet of the American people, begging forgiveness. You should be renting billboards saying, we lied. But most importantly, you should be hauled before Congress to answer humiliating questions. These and other information purveyors owe us, not just this paper, but this country, restitution for what now looks like the most egregious and willful fake news scam of our time. This paper scoops on Hunter Biden's laptop in 2020 were labeled Russian misinformation by Politico, a hoax by Stephen Brill of fact check site NewsGuard, discredited by many, many red flags, according to NPR, and a hack and leak operation that had to be throttled by Facebook's Mark Zuckerberg. The post acted with transparency in explaining to readers how it got the laptop from hell. Moreover, nobody on Team Biden denied the Post's report because they knew or suspected it was true. Every news outlet in the country should have fronted the story at that point. Biden team refuses to deny Hunter Biden laptop story. A few months later, Hunter himself said the laptop certainly could be his, and the media shrugged instead of apologizing. Even in the presidential debate where the matter came up, Joe Biden's comments were not a denial but simply a deflection And everybody who reported that he denied the laptop story was guilty of propagating fake news all over again. What he actually said was, there are 50 former national intelligence folks who said that what he's accusing me of is a Russian plant. Five former heads of the CIA, both parties, say what he's saying is a bunch of garbage. Nobody believes it except his good friend Rudy Giuliani. End quote. Now, Dr. Malone says this is what is called a lie in the real world that you and I inhabit, but not in the corridors of Washington, D.C. or state-sponsored media. The New York Post article documents that even in 2020, elements of the U.S. government, which some might call the deep state, were engaging in misinformation, translation, lies, meant to alter the outcome of the upcoming election. And there's a good chance that their efforts succeeded and they swayed the election in favor of Biden. Biden. Isn't that interesting? You know, I've, I've been asked, why would it come to light now? And I think that's a question that's worth pursuing. And I think, it's, it, I think it's within the realm of possibility. You know, Joe Biden, I can't think of a nice way to say this, so I'm just going to be very blunt about it. Um, cognitively. Joe Biden is is on his way down. Okay, he's he is calling, showing very clear signs of dementia. People who have have worked with uh, with loved ones who've had dementia, or who who work with dementia patients on the regular, constantly say, "Oh yeah, he's showing classic symptoms of it." And the Democrats know. Come twenty twenty four, there's no way he's going to run again. So they're preparing an exit for him. The shame of the Biden family, you know, they'll, they'll throw them under the bus. And who knows? I've seen a very plausible explanation of how Hillary Clinton may actually be resurrected and brought back and, and put in place as president. Should Biden be removed, say, under, you know, the 25th Amendment? I don't know whether to believe that or not. But I have to say the way that it was outlined, it was like, ooh, that's that's just plausible enough to kind of send a little chill up your back. But back to Dr. Malone, he says these deep state agents have turned to using big tech, social media, legacy media, and paid influencers to smear, slander, censor, and defame those who tried to bring the story of Hunter Biden's laptop to the American people prior to the election. And here he has a great quote from Orwell, once again from 1984. The masses never revolt of their own accord. And they never revolt merely because they are oppressed. Indeed, so long as they're not permitted to have standards of comparison, they never even become aware that they are oppressed. So exit stage left, Hunter Biden, enter stage right, COVID-19. We all know what happens next, says Dr. Malone. We all lived it. The censorship and defamation of any scientist or physician who questions the safety, efficacy or the data or lack thereof of the public policies surrounding COVID-19 has been unprecedented in modern history. And he goes into some very good uh, examples of this. And again, linking to the stories and the sources that back up what he's saying. And he says they've turned to using big tech, social media, legacy media, paid influencers to smear, slander, censor and defame those who questioned the official COVID narrative. You think we might start seeing a pattern? And now COVID-19 has exited stage left and mainstream media is focused entirely on Russia and Ukraine. Now, this is where I find myself crosswise with, uh, with a number of people who normally, I think, would, would say, well, Brian, you know, you and I see eye to eye. But I certainly don't. Not not on the, the narrative that is coming at us right now regarding the Russia-Ukraine conflict. This doesn't mean I'm indifferent to the suffering of people in any war-torn situation, Ukraine being just one of them. But I would remind you with all my heart... That the same people who are insisting that you hate all things Russian and love all things Ukrainian are the very same people who are telling you, shut up, get the jab, mask up,
0: don't go to work, etc. When did they become trustworthy? This is The Brian Hyde Show.